Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post-production firm The Finish Line, dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery. They've worked on first dates, GPs behind closed doors and the island with Bear Grylls, to name just a few. Hello, I'm Peter White. Welcome to a special edition of Talking TV, recorded live at the Broadcast Awards 2017. Coming up on the show, we talk to Phoebe Wallerbridge, creator of BBC Three's Fleabag. We talk to Jules Holland, as well as a host of other winners, including Jay Hunt from Channel 4 and Kenton Allen of Big Talk. Plus, we hear from the people behind shows such as Exodus, Planet Earth 2 and the Rio Paralympics. That is all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. That was Jonathan Ross. Let's start tonight with the winner of Best Single Drama, Ellen from Touch Paper Television. Here's the team shortly after collecting their award. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. We're up against such extraordinary people and for May and I, um, it's our first TV credit, so this is a real honour. It's amazing. It's a tough genre to connect to the audience. Why do you think people connected to Ellen? I, ju- I think it's a really quality piece of work, you know, and that's why it's very, very powerful. Is there, obviously this came through the, the Channel 4 um, talent scheme, yeah. does it show the importance of these schemes and, and the commitment to new talent and how much that, that really does translate onto screen? Yeah, I, I think what it proves is that broadcasters, not just in drama, I, I, I only know drama, but I assume in all, all areas people need to have more faith in new talent because that's the future of television and for these guys it's like their first TV credit. They'll have a lot more trust me and you know I think people have to broadcasters should have more confidence in the talent coming through because there is such a rich pool of talent out there do you think there needs to be more opportunities like this that allow these kind of films to be on television 100% yes best daytime program was won by monkey kingdom for the question joy the channel 4 series here is executive producer will mcdonald we're sat next to Channel 4, they're on the next door table, so uh, it felt important for the commission of Series 3. <laughs> I gather that the show was based on 12 Angry Men, and, and ha- did you expect a game show based on 12 Angry Men to win, a, win an award like this? Well, no, not, not in a world in which uh, uh, more exciting, lively, Trumpian things are happening. People sitting around talking about answers in a room for as long as they like. Sounds quite dull, doesn't it? But uh, it's, no, I, I, I hope that it is new and interesting. That's what I hope. It's not the sexiest of genres in terms of daytime, <laughs> but tell us, you know, it's obviously important. It's obviously something that you guys are, are, are doing well in. You know, what do you make of the, the current daytime world? I have to say I don't know a lot. I'm not an expert in daytime, which is probably why we're probably quite good to do a show in it, because I think you're always quite good at things you've not done before. 
So this is the first proper daytime show I suppose we've done, which therefore we don't know all the rules and therefore we don't try and copy everybody else because what's the point in doing another pointless or tipping point or even Loose Women Cliff Richards special, which we sadly beat this evening and I think that was a much more worthy winning. And so you've done the first season and you've got Series 2 coming up. Is there anything in Season 1 that you're going to change for Series 2 or is it just a case of how, how many of these can we do? No, it's pretty similar because it worked quite well and we're going to do some more. It's a daytime show. We're hoping to do 800 of the motherfuckers. Now, they, they move Pointless and, and, and many other game shows into primetime. Presumably that's your, your end goal. Well, I have to say it's not our end goal, but it would work. I think it would work incredibly well as a, as a, a show in which you put seven celebrities into a room together, change the coffee and tea for whiskey and gin, and that, I honestly, that would be the best incarnation of this show. And given and you're so, sitting next to Channel 4, you're going to go pitch that right now? I'm going to go pitch that right now because I saw Jay Hunt hugging people. My name is James Blumel. I was the series director of Exodus. And uh, my name is Hassan Akkad. I was uh, a character in the documentary that James Blumel has made. And I believe in the UK. I believe that the UK offers you a chance. Without, uh, and it gave me a chance to stand amongst the best people here. And while it's very easy to roast the, BB the BBC, uh, BBC gave me a chance and six other people to tell their stories. It's the story of the worst crisis of 2015. Thank you so much for everyone. Thank you, Kia Films. Thank you, BBC. Thank you. We were, we were filming the refugee crisis, and one of the people that we met when we were making this film was, was Hassan here, who was uh, making the journey. And now I'm working with him on the second series. We're making a second series about, about the refugee crisis, Exodus 2, basically. I've, I've had the chance to go back to places like the jungle in Calais and other refugee camps in Greece to make the documentary. And I've noticed that the situation has changed. People now are stuck in those camps. The borders are shot. Uh, it's, uh, there are so many fences, borders, border control. Uh, it has definitely changed and it caused it has caused people to feel so helpless and so hopeless also about the, the whole thing. I'm Elizabeth White, I'm producer on uh, Planet Earth Two Islands. And I'm uh, the editor on Planet Earth, Planet Earth Two Islands. And best moment of the year in television as voted for by your peers. That must be pretty exciting. Yes, it is very exciting. Kind of scary and exciting at the same time. So how on earth did you capture that incredible moment? We were out in the Galapagos for about three, four weeks. Um, we actually did two, trip, two trips out there, but all of this was filmed on the first one. And um, just lots of long days and waiting for little iguanas to come out and then watching their fortunes. And some of them were good, some of them were bad. And every now and then you got one that was really remarkable. And the one we focused on for the, the story was, was pretty amazing. Do you feel an emotion when you're watching that like the viewers do? Yeah, I stood on the beach and I covered my eyes and said, did he get away? <laughs> you're invested, you watch a little animal and you're invested in it. And so you feel the same in when you're there. And that's absolutely what we wanted to convey in that sequence. And Matt did such an amazing job editing it to absolutely capture that first five minutes of that animal's life. And the show was, was incredibly well received, almost bigger than Planet Earth, the original, which I don't think anyone expected. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I, th I think it's hard to predict. Hopefully it's because everyone suddenly feels, at the moment, it, the time is right to reconnect with nature. It feels like there's lots going on in the world and actually going back to basics and the planet around us is really amazing. I think the music was a fantastic. Hans Zimmer's score was amazing. And I think the fact that we followed kind of quite close stories, it was very much animals' lives and getting into their world, I think is quite intimate. 
And I think when you're when you're up against amazing drama all the time, to be able to show the natural world in that dramatic form is 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 a great way of doing it. How do you follow up a moment like that? I don't know. We're scratching our heads. You never know. We didn't predict that. That was that was potluck. That's nature. Let's continue the show with a couple of kids' awards. First up, best preschool program was won by Topsy and Tim, produced by Daryl McQueen for CBeebies. Maddie Darrell, I was executive producer on the series and I'm a co-founder of Daryl McQueen, the production company. Uh, and I'm Billy McQueen and I was an executive producer on the series and I'm the other half of Daryl McQueen. Um, I think the show is written for and with children in mind and they recognise, young children recognise themselves absolutely in the two main lead characters. Well, it was a huge risk by CBeebies to commission 60 episodes of a narrative arc drama, live action narrative arc for kids and um, I think it's paid off because kids have loved it. And you illustrated the death of a pet in a preschool programme, which seems like an incredibly difficult line to tread. How did you do that? I think it was the third series by the time we approached that topic. And by then the characters were really well known. It was much easier to handle something so sensitive, a very immersive story. And we took it in slow stages and a lot of thought went into getting that balance right. Is it important to, to deal with issues like that in kids' programming? Well, I, I think that was a major one, and there was quite a lot of debate uh, in the office and over the writing. But I think it was brilliantly handled by the BBC, their interactive unit, and the Facebook pages. Because the parents started to guess something might be coming, um, so we jointly came up with a, a Facebook strategy that meant that the parents were pre-warned and um, it then became something that they were involved in and felt that we're taken on a tough topic but dealt with it well and they were forewarned and could talk their kids through it and it, it, it turned out to be something a, a way of dealing with first experiences and some tough first experiences for the under sixes uh, that parents and carers really appreciated being part of and being knowing what was coming ahead of what happened. It feels like the kids' business is becoming increasingly tough. It, can, it seems that there's less money in it than there ever was. You know, how do you guys see the state of kids' television in the UK? You know, UK kids have been phenomenally good at creating great shows and connecting with their audience, and that's what we live and die by. And I think you know, UK creativity is alive and kicking, and we will keep doing it. We're known globally uh, as the nation who has brought Harry Potter and so many other before then classic children's brands. And as the TV industry becomes more global, we're being looked at more and more to be the leaders, especially of um, live action narrative and, uh, and animation. And we're very proud to be part of it and feel very positive and confident about the future. Sarah and Duck in the night garden, uh, the dumping ground. You know, there is great stuff coming out of the UK and it will continue to hopefully move out into the global market. Next up was Best Children's Programme, won by My Life, The Boy on the Bicycle, produced by Drama TV for CBBC. People think it's tough to kind of find these amazing kids that can talk, and actually that's just our misconceptions about kind of how people that are other to us, they're just amazing, lovely kids, in the same way that you'd find amazing, lovely kids anywhere at a kind of 
where yeah, a lot of kids gather in this yeah. country. So we're really lucky to find an English speaker to kind of lead the film. But they're just lovely kids, just like our kids. And also we make kids' programmes and we make programmes not for kids as well. And I think for us it's kind of it's about, you know, great characters, strong stories across all the programmes we make. So in a way it's not really that different. It's just, you know, we just have to bear in mind a different audience. It feels like a show that it could have been in prime time, not necessarily yeah. on a kids' channel. Yeah, yeah. We, want, we want it to be in prime it. time, so maybe it we could be one day. To see it. Hassan just gave a, a wonderful speech that, that, that sort of echoes some of the, the, the elements of your story. Do you, do you sort of feel the same a kinship with that? You know, obviously we've got the, this US uh, band going on at the moment and, and that, it feels like these are stories that need to be told right now. Yeah, and to be able to give a voice to children feels a real honour because you do feel that those are the stories that are probably not heard, that are the least heard. So it does feel an honour to be able to tell their stories. Yeah. And also the kids are so kind of optimistic about their future, even though they've been through a whole load of shit. And I think it's just inspirational to kind of think that that kind of, you know, optimism and kind of ability to think life's going to get better sort of lives on. We've made a follow-up. I was just about to ask, are you thinking about a follow-up? Um, documentary about children who've come, to, refugee children who've come to Bristol and settled in Bristol, and it's just gorgeous. It's such a lovely film. And Where did you find those characters? Well, actually, the lead character um, we had done the voiceover for the first film, and we met him through that, and then met his family and heard about his backstory. And, and met a whole load of other Syrian refugees living in Bristol. There's about 40 families in Bristol from Syria, so we've kind of got into their world. Has it got a title? It has. It's called New Boys in Town. I'm David Wilson. I'm Professor of Criminology at Birmingham City University, and I presented Interview with a Murderer. This is David Hard, who directed. This is Rick Hall, who was a producer. This is Bella Barr, who did all the production side. So how on earth did you secure access to this film? Rick came across a copy of the book uh, Murdered at the Farm, which was written by the journalist Paul Foote in a bookshop, and he said, what happened to the guy who was the suspect in this murder originally? We got in touch with David, who's the country's leading criminologist, and he said, let's go and find him. We found him living in the Lincolnshire Fens, and then that began the extraordinary journey that was shown on the film. And then 30 hours later, that must have been something else. Well, the thing that you, people don't really understand is that nothing was scripted. The, intervie the interviewee, Bert Spencer, took us everywhere that um, he wanted us to go. And I simply had to play a human chess match with him, whereby I was trying to work out what on earth he was saying and what on earth he was doing. And so the, the faith of the program and the documentary makers was to stay with us to the end of the documentary because I had no idea where it was going to go. Rick was the man who had to deal with Bert the whole time, so he kept the show on the road because after every interview, Bert wanted to stop filming, so the program nearly shut down. So you had to keep that relationship going, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, and it was a, a long, tough year. You know, I think it paid off in the end. Did you expect you were going to get such two huge scoops as you did? You just can't really expect that. You know, you do, as you know, hard work. We've worked so hard on so many projects that haven't got off the ground. And then you have a bit of, I don't know, magic and luck and synchronicity and everything came together on this programme. And the true crime genre is incredibly hot right now. Obviously, this plays into it, but we've talked about shows such as The Jinx and Making a Murderer from the States. What do you think it is about audiences that are really interested in these stories? 
I think what interests the audience is that we don't give them enough credit for how intelligent they are. And what this program showed was that the public could accept our long-form documentary about serious issues and allowed them to make up their own mind about the guilt or innocence of the particular protagonist. So how on earth do you follow this up? We're doing interview with a serial murderer. We can't say too much more, but he's one of the, the world's most notorious serial killers. He's about to get out of prison, and we've got access to him. Well, congratulations, Thank guys. So well done. We've got Jules Holland here. Congratulations on the Special Recognition Award. Uh, 350 episodes in. Uh, what can we expect for the next 350? Same old shit as the last lot. And uh, I'm here with the producer, Mark Cooper, and it's very nice to be specially recognised. It's not just, of course, on behalf of, uh, on behalf of all of the people. Mark is our producer, but everybody who works on the show. Without that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work at all. You've brought the entire team tonight. You have a very dedicated team. Mark, I gather you've not missed an episode. Is that right? Myself, Jules, and Mike Felton, who's over there, our sound supervisor, have actually attended every one of our episodes. So uh, that's now comfortably well over a year of my life, really. You've had some of the most incredible musicians on your show. Who on earth could you possibly not get, and, and, and who do you want that you haven't had? Well, we'd quite like, obviously, well, our real dream is to get a lot of the people who are dead because they're some of the greatest people and we could have Bach, you could have Duke Ellington, you could, have the, you, could have, you could have the Beatles and that's just B. Failing that, I think we've pretty much had everybody we could have. It'd be nice to have Aretha Franklin. I don't think she likes flying. Music on television these days, you seem to be the only show on. What's the problem? I think that the opportunity is that, the, that it's quite difficult to make a music programme and I think the great thing is that the great thing about the BBC is that they've stuck with us and supported us for 25 years because it's their part of their job on behalf of Britain to collect and to collate all of the great work that's been on and the great people that there are around and also expose new people and one of the most important things about our show which no other shows do, is it is a home for lots of music which can't go anywhere else so Mark is often busy finding people from all over the world who may be very well known in their own spheres of music folk, jazz, blues, world music or whatever but not to a wider audience but we can introduce them and there's not any other shows that can have them on And Mark, what's yeah. it really like to work with Jules? It's a joy it's a joy, you know, Jules is the magic that brings our studio to live, that get, uh, alive, gives all the musicians permission to enjoy themselves because while the crew and all of us are on their side, when they see Jules there at the, ho at the heart of the show and playing the piano, they know what this show is for, it's for musicians. And Adele at the BBC won Best Music Programme. I'm Anouk Fontaine, I'm the executive producer. I'm Simon Stafford, the director. Guy Freeman, editor. Hopefully the Adele programme stuck out in people's minds. It's being a moment in TV and we're very proud of it. But there's lots of other good shows there. So, uh, you know, it's quite difficult to compare, I would say. And it's really important that the show wasn't just a sort of record company fluff or just some sort of hagiography. There were some real, real moments to this show. Well, she herself wanted to do something different. You know, she was very involved right from the beginning as to the kind of show she wanted to do. It was more the music performance. She was integral in that hidden camera sequence we did with the prosthetics was absolutely something she wanted to do from the beginning. So we were very lucky she was in that frame of mind. 
Is that just because of Adele, the artist, that you don't necessarily... There aren't that many Adeles out there, I guess, was what I'm saying. I think that's that juxtaposition between seeing an international artist, massive artist, seeing, doing, seeing her out of her element, doing something completely different that maybe surprised people enough and people were reacted really well to the programme. So. And music is... We just spoke to Jules, obviously that show's going well, but otherwise music has sort of struggled on TV in recent years. There hasn't been that much of it. Do you think the sort of the ratings and the success of a show like such as yours might encourage broadcasters to do more? I hope so. I mean, I think it proves you've got to do, for music performance shows to work on a mainstream channel, you've got to do more than music performance. I mean, I think that's, that's the lesson, and luckily it showed that. By her giving us more than, than she would at, say, a concert, that's what brought in a, a bigger audience, hopefully. And Simon here made it look fantastic as well on screen. It was a real visual treat as well. What's next? Are there any other artists at the same level that can, can do what Adele can do? Well, we've already done Buble at the BBC, and then we are now looking ahead at other artists. Yes, there will be more. There will be more. More in that vein. Three Days of Terror, the Charlie Hebdo attacks, won Best News and Current Affairs programme. I'm Sam Bagnall, I'm the uh, executive producer of This World, the strand that this film was part of. And I'm Dan Reed, the producer-director of Three Days of Terror. In January 2015 in Paris, three days of there's Charlie Hebdo, then there's a sort of another day when a few thing, things, bad things happen, and then there's the um, attack on the Jewish deli. And then in November, there's the Bataclan. A lot of people kind of, we were sort of uh, overshadowed a little bit by the, by, the, by the bigger event in November. The three-day attack that happened in January was the sort of the first time that Paris really went through that assault on its very soul and, and on the sort of the heart of French identity, which was... How low. shortly after the, the event did you decide to make a film? I think we were there about a month or three weeks after it happened. And the weird, the weird thing is that the Charlie Hebdo officers were right opposite a documentary production company. And so I went to see them and they're just like us, they're just a little production company. So that was a real, if I can use the word, head fuck, because these are people just like you who, you know, who make programs about terrorist attacks and suddenly find themselves next door to the biggest terrorist attack on France ever. You've got producers there who've been in war zones who are suddenly hearing shooting next door and thinking like, Oh fuck, what do I do? There's a lot of people that were, were I can imagine, wanting to make that film. How did you manage to, to get in there and, and do what you did? I, I think the difference between what Dan does and what most other documentary filmmakers do is Dan is in it for the long term. And that was the first film probably ever made that had uh, access to the French security apparatus. How and did if, you get access to that? You need to ask Dan, but it's a long term... <laughs> He speaks French, which is good. He is kind of French in an as yet undisclosed way. But he uh, gets access to that. And in France, the film was a huge deal. You know, when it went out in France, it was a huge deal. It was relatively no, controversial, right? Yeah, no one had seen that kind of access to French security services before. We kind of used to it with documentary access here. And for me, commissioning it, but cracking that nut, was an extraordinary thing which he did. And how do you follow that up, Dan? Is there any more to tell in that story, or is that it? Well, I've actually made four, four films about terrorist attacks, and I swore that the last one, the third one, would be the last, because, as Sam says, I'm, I'm sort of spiritually half French because I grew up speaking French. Um, I felt I really had to do this, that it was, was like, felt really personal, but I, I think I'm well and truly done. Picking up two awards, including Best Multi-Channel Programme and Best Original Programme, was Fleabag, the Two Brothers Picture Show for BBC Three. I'm Lydia, I'm the producer of Fleabag. 
I'm Harry, the executive producer of Fleabag. I'm Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I wrote and I play Fleabag. Congratulations, two awards tonight. Did you ever expect that a show so dark could be so funny? I hope so. Who knows, it would, yeah. I don't know, it was very dark when you first brought it to us. It was as dark as it is now when we see it on our screens. All of us have very dark senses of humour and it's how we kind of access the comedy through kind of a different level of the human experience, I think. And we just thought, God, if we can get away with it being that naughty and funny and silly and then really gut people in the end and then for people to see that it's, it's dark and real, then that would be really reassuring that we're not the only people in the world that think that that dark stuff's funny. <laughs> I just sort of felt like I really wanted to, uh, and it, it sounds really kind of prosaic saying it, but say some of those things on stage in front of an audience and see what sort of happened, like someone who was a little bit darker and a little bit edgier and who was kind of contradictory and messy and weird and that I really wanted to play that character and so I kind of had to put my money where my mouth is really and, um, and, and have a go. So it's the most amazing uh, feeling that, it's, that she's come this far, that character, and that She's kind of validated in that way. The show's obviously gone out. It's been incredibly well received. It feels like, is this the victory lap? It feels like, um, you know, I've heard you talk about you're not ready to necessarily do any more. Yeah, we absolutely want to try and find the magic again to be able to do it again. But I think it's a thing of being true to the character. And if you fuck that up, you fuck everything up. So we've got to really find the right thing. But I hope, I hope, I hope we, go, we go again. Can I just ask you a quick question? Obviously, you've got Killing Eve uh, um, coming up with the... Uh, I hear you'll play an international spy um, for BBC America, or, or written a character that is an international spy. Can you tell us anything about that, that show? Yes, mainly I'm not playing the assassin. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's another... Hopefully another story about a, a weird, complex, emotionally, sometimes physically violent couple of women who hopefully will make, well, you'll be able to celebrate because they do things that may... or do and say things that maybe you... you wouldn't think you're allowed to do in life uh, besides kill people um, like other little details as well is that fair Vicky? Vicky's also writing it with me and uh, Vicky uh, worked on Fleabag and Bruce as well is that fair about killing Eve? Yes I didn't hear what you said but I'm sure you're right <laughs> about killing people she was talking about killing people yeah, so Vicky have you killed people? I've, I have killed people are we talking about this? <laughs> Where are you at with it now? Is it done? Is it finished? We're halfway through writing it at the moment. We're working with Sid Gentle, who are nominated tonight. We're an incredible, incredible production company, and we are halfway through the writing process. So we're kind of right in the depths of the cave, looking for the, <laughs> the light. Best sports program was won by the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games, produced by Sunset and Vine for Channel 4. So I'm Arthur Williams, and I presented the afternoon show with Adia Deputan for the London, no, not the London, the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. Well, therein lies a good question. We had such an incredible London Paralympics. How on earth did you follow that up? Well, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. I think that we had the upper hand in London because uh, we were doing something that was new. We were bringing Paralympic sport to the, the forefront of broadcast across the UK and in, in Rio it was a much harder thing to follow up uh, because we didn't have the novelty of it. We had to compete directly against the BBC's Olympic coverage and we had to bring Paralympic sport up to a parallel level with the Olympic coverage. Was that your biggest challenge? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, you know, the Olympics and the BBC have got an infinite budget. It's huge. It's got the support, it's got the, 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 the traditional support, the world back support. And with the Paralympic sport movement, really, we're still kind of in our infancy, I suppose. 
Uh, we're not a follow-up anymore. We are our own entity, which we deserve to be, most definitely. And did you, do you think it's moved the needle? You know, obviously we've got another Games in three years. Uh, where, are we, where are we going to see that in, in three years' time? I'd like to think that, that Paralympic sport now has got it as much of its own following as the Olympic. I mean, look, I speak to people like... In, I live in the country and I speak to people in the streets who say that they got more of a thrill out of watching the Paralympic sports than they did Olympic sports because it introduced them to something new. And, you know, the Paralympics are more than sport. They're about the human spirit, the human race overcoming the worst possible situations and and they're intertwining that with sport and 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 then they're making the best of the situation so i think that we've got that going forward but i think our challenge now is to take paralympic sport to a level where it surpasses olympic sport and it's important it's not just every four years presumably that in those four years that we still you know that these sports and, and, and these people these presenters and yourself you know they are not just seen every four years yeah absolutely there are disability sporting events that go on throughout the year every year annually the paralympics may be something that everybody that the majority are familiar with but now i think it for those hardcore fans that we really started winning over in london i think that there is a plethora of events that they can really really follow their passion with throughout the years and what do you think about channel 4 support it's obviously the home of the paralympics are you, are you happy with the support it's given well look, i'll just uh, echo what jay hunt said in london it's the biggest live event that we've had in our 25 26 year now history we took a massive risk in taking on the Paralympics and it's paid dividends. I, I keep saying this to my friends and my family. Okay, so Channel 4, who are in competition with the BBC, we have the Paralympics, the BBC have the Olympics. What you've got is two terrestrial channel broadcasters, superpowers, and Channel 4 are raising the level of Paralympic sport because they've got to compete with the BBC. And in doing so, it's only going to thrust the Paralympic movement forward, and it's a great thing. My name's uh, Jack Thorne, I'm a writer. Congratulations, Jack. You just won Best Drama Series for, at the Broadcast Awards for This Is England 90. Why do you think that This Is England 90 won? Uh, because uh, Shane Meadows is a genius. This has got nothing to do with me. He's, he's brilliant. I just do a bit of writing for him every now and again. How was working with Shane? Oh, brilliant. We um, meet in a hotel in Nottingham. It's a bit run down, to be honest. And um, we eat a lot of uh, bad food, like chili on chips. And then sometimes he has a nap. And then we try and write the show. And you've done an incredible uh, breadth of drama, types of drama, different types of stories. What is it about This Is England that you were interested in writing? I love the characters. The film existed before I was involved. I got involved with uh, 86. Uh, I love the characters, I love the world of it, but most of all I love Shane and the way Shane tells stories. And you know, he does it like no one else does it. This is the, the third and final This Is England. That feels like a shame. Has uh, uh, Shane sort of hinted to you to perhaps there might be any more? Oh, it's all down to that big man. The, the brilliant thing is that, you know, uh, the actors all love him. And uh, if they wanted him to, you know, if he walked into a fire, they'd follow on after him. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, everyone involved in the show would do anything he asked them to do. So um, if he wanted to do another one, everyone would want to do it. But it's up to him. That was Jack Dawn talking about This Is England 90, the Warp Films production for Channel 4. The two big awards of the night went to Big Talk as Best Indie and Channel of the Year was Channel 4. We'll hear from Channel 4's Chief Creative Officer Jay Hunt in a minute. First, Big Talk. 
Hello, I'm Matthew Justice. I'm the Managing Director of Big Talk Productions. I'm Kenton Allen. I'm the uh, Chief Executive of a aforementioned award-winning production company. Congratulations, guys. Some much. stiff competition up against Studio Lambert, RDF and 2-4. Uh, were you surprised? Were you chuffed? Tell us about it. Oh, we're at, well surprised. There's always a nice hint, isn't there, in the, in the citation. So I think when we heard um, supporting new talent, I think is what was said, there was a little look around the table thinking, oh, we do, we do do quite a lot of supporting new talent. And, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has had a fantastic uh, night tonight, but we like to remember Crashing as being the first show that Phoebe ever made for British television, and we gave her that opportunity with Channel 4. So we sort of thought we might be in with a look, uh, but it's always nice to win, and you never can be overconfident in these things. And, and Mum won earlier. We've still got Friday Night Dinner on, on, on air yeah. and, and raised Colfie, by Wolves. Colfi didn't uh, win. We lost, well. to, lost to This Is England 90, which is an admirable show to lose but to. But it's coming back for Series 2, it so is. perhaps it next is. year. Yeah, but there's always next year. We start shooting in four weeks' time. You have a breadth of comedy and drama. Tell us about that. I mean, that mix is important to you guys, obviously. Well, it's, it's scripted entertainment is what we make, whether it be half hour or whether it be hour. But that's really the, the focus of what the company does. We don't do anything else. And so, and so we don't really distinguish between comedy and drama and feature films. We just happen to make scripted entertainment of varying lengths. Saying that, you've got some comedies coming up, like Back with Mitchell and Webb, and you've got some dramas. I know you were pitching uh, a project based on the SAS. Is there anything about those two that you can talk to us about? Uh, Back, um, written by Simon Blackwell, starring David and Robert, goes into production, starts, it's almost in production, uh, and it starts shooting in May. Uh, the SAS project we can't tell you anything about, but it's very exciting and is attracting an enormous lot of attention from some very exciting uh, directing talent. So the half-hour comedy continues to be the kind of backbone of what we do, but the drama slate is growing at a, at a rate of knots. And Raised by Wolves has just been picked up for a pilot in the States, yeah. and you guys are hands-on with that? Yeah, we're doing it with Belanti Productions, Greg Belanti and Sarah Schachter, who are probably the most prolific uh, US producers at the moment. We've got, I think they've got seven shows on the air. Diablo Cody, the Oscar-winning writer of uh, Juno, has adapted it, and... Uh, We'll be shooting it in a few weeks' time. The networks have, since the election of President Trump, have been talking about types of programming that might echo the Rosans of the world. Do you think Raised by Wolves could potentially be that, that type of show? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was... Very, uh, when Channing Dungay was over here um, before Christmas, that was very much... It was just after Trump had been uh, uh, elected. So the what are the, what are the Rust Belt audiences going to watch was very much front of mind. And Raised by Wolves obviously tackles taps into that um, that world and that relatively unrepresented uh, white working class world of, uh, of the UK and when you see what we've done with it in the US you see how that could work for a mainstream American audience who, um, are, who voted for Donald Trump. And what else is coming? Is there anything else that we can see for the next stage of Big Talk's growth? Certainly more ambitious drama and contemporary drama as well. Yeah, yes. On and the back of Cold Feet? Yeah, perhaps on the back of cold feet, but you know, but also if you're, you know, if you're known for doing a slightly more kind of comedic, lighter style, then that's something we definitely are, you know, are thinking more and more about. Yeah. Jay Hunt, second year in a row. It is. So is this more special than the first? <laughs> it's an unbelievable buzz for the entire team to win these. This is two years in a row for Channel Four, two years in a row for E4 for digital as well. So it's an amazing achievement i'm incredibly thrilled for my team but unbelievably grateful for the producers directors performers who worked so unbelievably hard for the channel i just feel incredibly uh, overwhelmed by it were you surprised yeah always surprised i mean even if you've had a great year it's a huge thrill to get recognition from your peers like that and it's an amazing night you've won seven awards this evening 
and right across the genres, from factual to entertainment into drama, what is it about that breadth of programming that you think is connected with an audience? I think it's been you know, a bit of a journey over the past five years and you know, broadcasts and lots of others were very kind to recognise the renaissance we had in Factual and Ralph is with me now is a very big part of that. I think what's been thrilling over the past few years is we've now seen that success replicated in scripted. So to have shows like Catastrophe and Chewing Gum nominated tonight alongside really significant wins like This Is England in drama series in a really competitive category, massive buzz. And I think that's, that's why it's connected with audiences. We've got that range right across the genres now. You were just at Real Screen uh, last week in the States talking about um, some of the strategy that you were looking at and, and despite some of the wins here you said that certain genres like lifestyle were in a little bit of a rut. What do you think we can do or the British industry can do to, to get you out of that? I think it's just, uh, to be honest, it's not about the British industry. I mean, my observation was it's a genre globally. It's probably in need of a bit of regeneration. These are still things that touch people's lives daily, what they eat, how they parent, you know, how they choose to marry, all those sorts of things. And you know, quite a lot of the formatting in that space can feel quite tired. So I think it's a challenge that we all face on a global scale. How do we make programs that connect to people about the things they're doing day in, day out? And Ralph, you're tasked with, with commissioning some of these programmes. What are the, some of the challenges for you at the moment? Uh, to keep the scale up, to keep new things coming through the door and to keep the quality up. I mean, you know, we've had an amazing array of factual programmes and looking at the next two or three years, we've got to we've set the, you know, the bar very high for ourselves. So keeping new things coming in and focusing on not just sort of the quality of things like 24 hours in custody, 24 hours in A&E, Gogglebox, but backfilling behind them with new things. What about some of those new shows? Uh, Mutiny's coming up, there's a few other big formats yeah. coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're excited in 2017? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a lot of experiments with form. Again, Ralph's team responsible for Mutiny, which is sort of hybrid history adventure show. We think that's really promising. We're thrilled about the trial, which we've done with uh, Endemol Shine, Dragonfly, and a really exciting, again, mix of factual and fiction, bringing together, I think, interesting insights about the criminal justice system. So it's always the shows that excite me are the ones that are trying to say something about the world, and I think we've got a really rich array of those this year. My colleague Jake last year asked you uh, if uh, you thought privatisation was hanging over Channel 4. Is it still something that's in your mind when you're programming? You know, I mean, it's been a distraction. I'm not going to pretend it hasn't been, but I'm, my focus has been to lead a team to deliver the sorts of successes we've seen tonight, to have that range of uh, you know, achievement right across all the genres. And I think Channel 4 is in rude health, and I hope it's allowed to continue working in the way that it is working. And how on earth are you going to win three in a row, Jay? <laughs> I think the amazing thing about the channel is that we've got a remit to innovate and to try the new and the different and I think that puts you in a really good place to, to do well at events like this but most importantly we want to make sure the audience is going to love and I hope we've got the sort of pipeline that will do just that. Chris Curtis, editor of Broadcast Magazine, 1500 people, Broadcast Awards, how's it been for you? Yeah, biggest and best event yet. I thought there were some nice, slightly low-key, under-the-radar winners, which I enjoyed this evening. Things like Ellen winning for Best Single Drama, uh, Mum in Best Comedy, Last Leg, Best Entertainment. You know, it's not strictly, it's not X Factor, but it's really established itself. So it's great to have some of those shows. And then some big, popular winners as well. I'll be amazed if this is not the only award that Exodus wins this year. I'll be amazed if Fleabag doesn't pick up some more awards. So, uh, yeah, a great evening. And it was a lovely speech at the start from the Exodus guys, wasn't it? Yeah, we have a rule at the Broadcast Awards, no speeches. But there were a couple of occasions uh, this year where that was uh, flaunted. And uh, frankly, thank goodness, to hear from a, a Syrian refugee who's now unable to travel to America and who thanked the BBC and thanked Britain for welcoming him was, was, was wonderful. Nice to hear from Jules Holland as well, about 25 years on air. Not, a, not exactly... A, huge range of music shows on TV so it was, uh, it was great to hear from him. 
and Channel 4 picked up Best Channel of the Year for the second year running. Yeah, a very close call to retain that title. It's something that doesn't happen very often. But I think when you look at Channel 4, they've got an incredible array of established brands now. They really know what they're about. And I think viewers, Channel 4 viewers, know what to expect when they go there. Factual entertainment, particularly strong. If you look at the shows, things like Ellen, things like This Is England 90, winning uh, Best Drama Series, beating shows like Happy Valley, beating Line of Duty, the really huge bellwether dramas. I think Channel 4, a deserved winner. Thank you, Chris. That's almost it. Just want to say thank you to Dee and Fran from the Broadcast Awards team. Also, thanks to our producer, Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. We're heading off for a big drink. Until next time, I'm Peter White. We'll see you on the other side.